Welcome to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there is anything in this message that you would like to talk about further, please go to our website, www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org. Back in the 90s in the USA, there was a popular TV commercial that asked the question, what do you want on your tombstone? I've been able to track down this uh, commercial. Let's take a look at the screens. You can't worship. Nope. Any last words? Nope. What do you want on your tombstone? Pepperoni and cheese. Time for Tombstone Pizza, made with the good stuff. Real pepperoni, real cheese, so it's always real good. What do you want on your tombstone? Just a little taste. Nope. So the question for us this morning is, what do you want on your tombstone? But I'm not talking about frozen pizza. You know, one day God is going to call each of us to give an account for our life. And more than likely when we're gone, our family and our friends, they'll do their best to provide a a service or a memorial that best commemorates our life and reflects what we did and what we stood for, hopefully in a positive way. And if you could choose what was to go on your headstone, what would you have inscribed there? Would you want some special word or phrase that best described the life you had lived? Or would you settle for something simple like rest in peace or gone or not forgotten? Well, I've discovered some interesting quotes that people have had on their tombstones. George W. Harris had, I knew this would happen. Another one was, here lies George Johnson, hanged by mistake, 1882. He was right, we was wrong, but we strung him up and now he's gone. Or here lies the body of a man who died. Nobody mourned, nobody cried. How he lived, how he fared, nobody knows, nobody cared. Or here lies Lester Moore, shot four times with a 44, no less, no more. Or Anna Wallace, the children of Israel wanted bread and the Lord sent manna. Old Clark Wallace wanted a wife and the devil sent him Anna. Or this one. We all have a debt to nature due. I've paid mine and so must you. Nothing terribly inspiring there, I have to say. But when you leave this world, will you leave a void? I believe that one of the most beautiful epitaphs ever written about any person is found in the Word of God in Acts 13, 36. If you've got your Bibles or your phones or whatever you use this morning, would you open up to Acts 13, 36? And it says this, For when David, that is King David, had served God's purposes in his generation, he fell asleep. It's not romantic. It's not full of literary genius, but for the Christ follower, it is profound and it is pure and it is perfect. So what kind of life do you want to write? For me, I want a great life. 
I want to take hold of everything that God's got for me. I want my life to count for something. I want my life to be real. And I want to live my life according to God's plans and purposes. And here's the thing. I know that God wants that for me and for you too. Because in John 10.10, he says, I, Jesus, have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Now, some versions say to have life abundantly, exceedingly, exceptionally, beyond measure, outstanding, mightily. This is what Jesus had in mind for each one of us when he went to the cross. Students of the Bible acknowledge that David lived a great life. He was a great son. He was a great shepherd, a great musician, a great poet, a great prophet, a great warrior, and a great king. But we know, don't we, that David's life was far from perfect. He spent a lot of his life hiding out in caves when he was on Saul's hit list. He committed adultery with Bathsheba, and the baby that they conceived died. He had her husband killed to cover up their affair. The baby boy that they conceived died and another son tried to steal the throne from him. David experienced trials and tribulations just like we do. And his list of failures is probably longer than ours. But of all that could have been said about him, it was recorded that he served God's purposes. Acts 7.46 also says that David was the man who found favour with God. And Acts 13.22 says that the Lord called David a man after his own heart. I don't know about you, but those verses give me a great measure of hope that despite David's failings, he was greatly loved by God and he was used in a mighty way to bring about God's plans and purposes for his people. There is hope for us yet. You know, when our kids were little and they did something wrong, I try and ascertain whether they did it on purpose or whether it was an accident. And if it was an accident, well, they got off with a light rebuke. But if there was intent and purpose behind it, then there were consequences that needed to be dealt with. In the context of doing something wrong, doing it on purpose makes it worse. But in the context of doing something right, it adds to its worth. And when everything is said and done, I wonder if God won't ask us that very question. Did you do it on purpose? In other words, did you live by default or did you live by design, by God's design, the way that he planned for you and he speaks about in John 10.10? Sometimes I think we fall into the trap of living by default. We can almost become like robots just going through the motions. When we live by default, it's easier to conform to the world's agenda without even realising it. Church, each of us was created to serve a unique purpose. Psalm 139.16 says, 
all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. In other words, the script of our life was written before we were even conceived. And the purpose of life is to serve the purposes of God. And we see this clearly in the Word of God in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So who wants a great life? Let's have a look at this Acts 13, 36 verse because I see three key characteristics of a great life in that tiny verse. The first one is the gist of a great life, if you're taking notes. The dictionary defines gist as the essence of or the main point behind something. We talk about the gist of a conversation or the gist of a book. So therefore the gist of a great life is the substance of that life, the main concerns, the chief aim or purpose. What is the person living for? These are great questions for us to consider in the context of our own lives. What made David a man after God's heart who lived to fulfil God's will? What was the gist of his life. Have a look at the verse. Acts 13.36 says he served. David lived to serve. That was the gist of his life. In his early life, he was dedicating to serving his father as a shepherd. Later, he devoted his life to King Saul as a soldier and a musician and a comforter. To his followers, he served as a captain, a counsellor, and protector. To the nation of Israel, he served as leader and king. Serving is life's purest motive and its highest aim. If the essence of sin is selfishness, then the essence of service is Christ-likeness. Serving others releases the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Jesus himself was the ultimate servant. Everywhere in the Bible where we see Jesus, we see himself giving himself away. Philippians 2, 5, 7 says this, Your attitude should be that as the same of Christ Jesus, who made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. In every situation and circumstance of life, we are called to exercise a servant spirit. And this is so at odds, isn't it, with the world's perspective. It says, look out for number one. Make sure your needs are met first because you deserve it. And our bookstores are full of all sorts of self-help books that motivate people to use other people to get what they want out of life. As Christ followers, we need to practice God's perspective as we do life. How can I serve the people I come into contact with today? How can I serve the people I work with or those who work for me? How can I serve my neighbour? How can I serve my community? How can I serve my church? I'm constantly inspired and amazed by the Nepali church planters whenever I go to Nepal. These men and women, they give up 
everything to serve God by planting their churches. They leave their families and their homes and they live on very little as they seek to share the love of Jesus with those who are lost. And great things are happening in that nation because of their faithfulness. We heard testimony after testimony after testimony of miraculous healings and transformations because of their faithfulness. Now, Ross and our Nepali partners had a prayer retreat before we went up in September and for two days they were positioned on this amazing mountain looking over Kathmandu and they were praying for God's vision for Nepal through IMM. And what God spoke into their spirit was that by 2020 they were to raise up 250 new church planters. That's 50 church planters for every year between now and 2020. And I can tell you that we have already exceeded the goal for 2016. It is such a joy and an inspiration to be part of what God's doing in Nepal. Their faith is inspiring. The gist or the essence of a great life is to serve. David was a servant of the living God. In whatever situation he was placed, he sought to serve God's purposes. How would that sit on our headstone? Is that the essence or the gist of our lives? The second thing I see in that verse is what is the true goal of a great life? What is the goal of the service? It's to serve the people of our generation David lived in a critical time in the history of Israel. There was insecurity and there was distrust and dissension and the Israelites, they were a difficult people to lead and to serve. But David rose to the occasion. He unified Israel and he re-established hope and confidence among his generation. I believe that our generation is at a defining time in history and here's a few things that I observe about our generation. Ours is a generation that struggles with hatred and bigotry and discrimination. There are more slaves on the planet today than there has ever been in history before. Ours is a generation with a heightened dissension among many people, groups, tribes and nations. We've seen the rise of terrorism and ISIS and there are millions of refugees on the planet without a place to call home. Ours is a generation that struggles to find the true meaning of life. Enough just never seems to be enough. People are searching for answers and as the song says, they're looking in all the wrong places. Just do whatever feels right for you is the message the world promotes and sadly, Many Christ followers have bought into that way of thinking. And ours is a vast generation. There are seven billion people alive today, more than has ever lived in history. And despite great advances in technology and medicine and education, there is greater need, greater poverty and greater divide between rich and poor. We cannot serve the past. And the only way we can serve the future is by serving in the present. We must do what we can in the here and now in our generation. How 
and we serve our generation best. I believe we can start by refusing to serve the fads and the fashions and the consumerism mentality that constantly calls out for our attention and our loyalty. Church, we need to be different and our point of difference is Jesus Christ. I love the way Romans 12 puts this in the message. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating and going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognise what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I believe that in that passage, God is asking us as, de- as believers to stand out from our generation, to be recognisable as his followers. And he's asking us not to become so comfortable with this world, with this culture, with this generation, that we fit in without even thinking, living by default instead of by design, by God's design. You know, God reveals himself to different people in different ways in order to get their attention and reveal his plans and purposes. The Apostle Paul fell off a horse on the road to Damascus. Zacchaeus was climbing a tree. Matthew was collecting taxes and Peter was mending nets. The point is is that each of our scripts is unique And when we begin to pursue the purposes of God, we can be sure of one thing, and that is that Satan gets restless. Make no mistake about it, he is the enemy of our souls, and anything that draws us closer to God in kingdom purposes is a threat to him. His favourite weapons are fear, doubt, distraction and discouragement. I love the story that Bill Hybels tells about how Willow Creek got started. I'm sure most of us have heard about um, Bill Hybels. He founded the Willow Creek movement. He's the senior pastor. He's written umpteen books and study materials, and he leads um, global leadership summits. Bill Hybels and his team wanted to rent the Willow Creek Theatre And they believed that uh, it was the perfect location for the movement that God was birthing. The manager of the theatre said no. So Bill Hybels, he sought out the regional manager and, and asked him and he said no. So Bill Hybels set about trying to find out who owned the entire theatre chain and he tried to set up a meeting with the president of that company and the president said no, he wouldn't meet with him. So Bill Hybels found out where his office was and he went to his office and he sat in the waiting room and he parked himself there and he waited hour after hour 
after hour. And Bill Hyvel's administrative assistant came over and asked him what he wanted. He said that he wanted a meeting with the president. She said it wasn't possible. So he sat there and he sat there and he sat there. Several times the, the president walked past, saw him sitting there, went about his business. Finally, at the end of the day, the president of the company decided that whatever this man had to say, it must be pretty important or pretty urgent for him to sit there all day waiting. So he asked Bill Hybels what he wanted. Hybels said, I've got a way to add revenue to one of your theatres when it's not being used. Well, the president was all ears. On October 12, 1975, the group held their first service in that theatre. 125 people attended the service and get this, the rent and the other costs were paid for with 1,200 baskets of tomatoes that 100 teenagers had sold by going door to door. Within two years, the church had grown to 2,000. To cut a long story short, Willow Creek met in that theatre for six and a half years and grew to 15,000 people. And here's why. Because Bill Hybels wouldn't take no for an answer as he pursued God's purposes in his generation. Bill Hybels has faithfully served God's purposes in his generation and countless lives have been changed as a result. How easy would it have been for him to have given up after being on the receiving end of all those knockbacks? I believe that each generation of believers is responsible for their generation of unbelievers. So here's the state of play for our generation. Of, there are 7 billion people on the planet today 31% of them identify with the Christian faith. This means that 2,170,000,000 people do not know Jesus Christ. I think some of them might live in Penrith. Church, we need to start right here where God has planted us and with what he has placed in our hands, the gifts and the abilities that he has equipped us with. And we need to stay the course and not give over our God-given calling to Satan by default, by not living on purpose. A group of Bible college students was asked to write down what it meant to them to serve God's purposes in their generation. Here's what one had to say. Because God has called me to serve my generation, I will value worship over wealth, we over me, character over comfort, service over status, and God's purposes over possessions, positions, popularity and pleasure. Wherever you lead and whatever the cost, I'm ready anytime, anywhere. I want to be used by you in such a way that on that final day, I'll hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come in and let the eternal party begin. Imagine if that was the personal mission statement of every Christ follower. We would change the world. So we look at Acts 13.36, the third characteristic I see is the true guide 
of a great life. What is the guide of a great life? It's the will of God. David's consuming desire in life was to follow and fulfill the will of God. And one of his most frequent expressions was, according to thy will. If you were to read Psalm 119, it refers to the word of God as the goal and guide of David's life. And almost every one of the 176 verses in that chapter speaks of that truth. Now again, we know, don't we, that not every act or deed of David's life was the will of God, but his heart's desire was that God's purposes should guide him. In Psalm 40, he said, I delight to do thy will, O Lord. And even though David was far from perfect, the will of God was enthroned in his soul. And it's a phrase that he uses over and over again in the book of Psalms. And this is what God is looking for in our lives. This is what underpins a great life when the will of God is at the centre of our heart. I don't know about you, for, but much of my life I've wrestled with knowing God's will for my life. I've wanted more than anything to follow his plan. And I've come to learn that it's not just something that you do early as a young person, early in life, but it's a lifelong pursuit in order to stay in the centre of God's will and plan. And I've found that there's a couple of vital keys for knowing God's will. We need to walk with God. We need to surrender our will to God. And we need to obey what we already know is God's will. Church, if we're really interested in knowing God's plan for our life, then we need to learn to walk with God. We've got to cultivate our life, our relationship with God, like a gardener tends to their garden. It doesn't happen by accident. We cultivate that relationship best by spending time in his word, taking time for prayer, being in church, involved in a small group, taking hold of every opportunity we can to discover more about who God is and his call on our life. And when we delight ourselves in these things, we position ourselves to hear from God. I think it's true that many times when we say that we're seeking God's will, what we are really wanting is for God to rubber stamp what we've already got in mind. I found that before God will begin to reveal his will to us, we've got to be committed to doing what he asks us first. Often when we say what, that we want to know what God's plan for our life is, we overlook that so much of his will is already outlined in the word of God. The word of God is clear on many, many aspects of God's will. First and foremost, we need to be obedient to the word of God. A person who is guided by their own will and desire cannot please God no matter how successful or great they might appear to be. But how do we live this life worthy of our calling? 
Colossians 1, 9 and 10 says this, Be filled with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. We need to walk in step with the Holy Spirit allowing him to speak into our lives and empower us for what God's called us to do. For David, that meant serving on the throne of Israel. For Mother Teresa, it meant working in the slums in Calcutta. For Oscar Schindler, it meant giving, risking his life and giving his all to rescue Jews in the Holocaust in World War II. For Nelson Mandela, it meant 27 years in a prison cell. For us, it might mean serving right where we're at, in our workplace, in our church, in our community, or even on a foreign mission field. There's a saying painted in big, bold letters on the wall in my gym, and it says, whatever your 100% looks like, give it. And I love that that sign is there because every time I look at it, it motivates me to work just that little bit harder. And this is the really cool thing about the Word of God. The same saying is there and it's found in Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for man. We're willing to give 100% to our careers and we're willing to invest our lives significantly in the pursuit of our hobbies and leisure interests. Are we as intentional about our walk with the saviour of our soul? Worship team can come up. I got to thinking about the story of the Good Samaritan and how three men that day had the opportunity to make a difference on the road to Jericho. We often single out the priest and the Levite as the bad guys, the fall guys, the ones that we can lay blame on. But you know, the priest and the Levite, they weren't bad guys. They just allowed their busyness and their indifference to crowd out their calling. They had the opportunity for a divine appointment that day and they allowed it to pass them by. Church, our God is looking for a people who will give their all for their generation and who will invest their lives in kingdom purposes. After David served his generation according to God's purposes, he died. If you have a look at the final part of Acts 13.36, it says he was buried and his body decayed. His body decayed but his memory and his legacy lives on. And he is remembered as a great man who lived a great life by God's standards. And David will spend eternity with the Lord for a great life in God always results in a great eternity. What would you like on your epitaph? What would you like written on your tombstone? great thing about serving God is that you get to choose. The truly great and profitable life is lived in service to our God for our generation according to his purposes.
And the Christ follower who seeks God's purposes and surrenders to them is a man or a woman after God's own heart, despite failures and weaknesses. And here's the thing. It's never too late to serve God's purposes in our generation because God's mercies are new every morning. Let's pray. Father God, we commit our lives afresh to you this morning as we look at the life of King David. God, we want to be a people who serve your purposes in our generation. God, we thank you that when you went to the cross, you envisaged that great life for us, that life that you wrote about in John 10.10, that abundant life, that exceedingly great life, God. And we want to be a people, God, that live worthy of that calling of Jesus. Thank you that you equip us through the power of your Holy Spirit to do that. God, as we go about life this week, help us to live on purpose. Help us to live by design the way that you designed for us to live. God, we fail. God, we stumble. But when we fall, God, you promise that you will pick us up. God, we thank you that your mercies are new every morning and that it is never too late in you to serve your purposes. So God, we give our hearts, we give our lives to you. Jesus, use us, we pray, for your glory. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there was anything in this message that you would like to talk further about, please go to our website on www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org.